Anybody else think we need to sign Adam up for some of those how to not be like your parents' classes they <laughs> offer? Uh, so um, years ago, uh, lots of years ago, maybe, I don't know, maybe 15 or 20 years ago, so it would have been maybe eight, 10 years of marriage, something like that. Um, Andrea and I, uh, young people, decided to uh, go to Kansas City for an, an anniversary, and we went and um, I don't even remember where we stayed, but we hung out in the plaza area, Kansas City Plaza area. And we went and walked around the shops and, and looked at stuff, and we decided that our one uh, splurge on the weekend was going to be to uh, eat at a fancy restaurant. Because it's fun sometimes to go to a nice restaurant and eat, and you don't know what it's going to be like. You know, it's exciting, and you kind of pretend like you're somebody for a few minutes. And so we decided, uh, we found this um, steak place uh, on the plaza and we decided we were, gonna, we were gonna go there. So we go back to the hotel, we, we kind of get dressed up a little bit and we go to this um, restaurant. Maybe you've heard of it, it's called Ruth's Chris. And uh, we go in there, <clears throat> never been in there before. We had just seen it. And we're like, oh, that looks, you know, like a fancy place to go eat. So we go in there. We are fish out of water uh, in that restaurant. It is uh, crazy. Like we had no idea what to do. Do you ever go to a restaurant and you, and you look at the, the menu and you're like, I don't, I don't even, like, what is this stuff? I don't even know what this is. How am I supposed to order it? Uh, do I get fries with that? Um, like, I, I get, and it's one of those things where like, okay, you go to McDonald's and you drop 10 or 15 bucks at McDonald's, you can eat for the whole day on that. Like you get a lot of food for a little bit of money. And these restaurants like um, Ruth's Chris, like uh, they're those restaurants where it's like the fancier the restaurant, the greater the law of diminishing returns is practiced. And so when you go to a fancy restaurant, the more money you spend, the less food you get. Is, that's how I've decided that they, they work it. So if you ever go to a fancy restaurant and you just look, the most expensive thing on the menu will be the tiniest thing on your plate. Uh, so we go there and we're like talking to the waiter like, we're idiots, like we don't, like how do we even order this stuff? And so you order like your, your protein or whatever and then they, bring this other thing to the table and everybody gets it. And you, like, I don't know, we ordered whatever the cheapest thing was, green beans, uh, to go with our meal. And they bring you out like a barrel of green beans and you get this little tiny piece of meat on your plate. Like, this doesn't make any sense at all. Anyway, so we walk out of uh, Ruth's Chris hungry and broke uh, after that. Like... <sighs> It's frustrating when you go somewhere and you just don't know what to do. Like, um, have you ever been someplace where you just felt out of place? Maybe you're like, uh, this morning, right here at church. Uh, hopefully not. Hopefully, if we want you to feel welcomed and wanted, we're glad you're here. But there are places that we go in life where we just feel out of place. Like, we don't, we don't really um, belong. Like, we're not prepared 
for whatever is going to be coming our, our way. Um, maybe you attended a church that has or practices certain uh, ritual kind of things when, when you go in or during the service and you're supposed to do things at a certain time in a certain way and everybody else in the room knows what to do because they've been there before and you don't. And so, you know, you're, you're watching <laughs> down the aisle to see what that person's gonna do. And when they stand, you stand. When they sit, you sit. Well, that was why we try to tell you what's coming up here in real life. So nothing is too big of a, a surprise. Um, well, maybe, maybe first day on the new job, right? That's a big one. First day on the new job. And like you've gone through their training program, but now you're on the floor or you're in the store or whatever. And, and you just don't quite know where everything is or what's expected yet. And so there's, that's, that's, that's anxiety, right? And you're just not really sure. You're not familiar with everything yet. And so you're just kind of awkward and unnerved and until, until you get in the rhythm. You find out where things are, you figure out what the expectations are, and then it's, it's better. Well, I think this kind of thing, uh, similar thing happened to Jesus only uh, you know, Jesus didn't face it the way I face it. Jesus uh, wasn't embarrassed by it at all. In fact, he uses the situation as an opportunity to confront some hypocrisy that he saw. Uh, and so we're, we're going to look at that. It comes in Luke chapter 11. We're wrapping up our bad religion um, series today. And so uh, here's what happens. Jesus was speaking and a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. And so he went into his house, he reclined at the table and the Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. Oh, oh my goodness. I, you're probably gonna be really glad that your kids, uh, most of them anyway, are uh, in kids' church because if they weren't in kids' church and it came time for lunch today and you say, hey, go wash up. Some of you men will probably say this to your wives. Hey, uh, go wash up for, for lunch. And the response is gonna be, uh, look, uh, Pastor Corey always tells us to look like Jesus and Jesus didn't wash his hands. So get behind me, Satan. This is what's gonna happen. Um, and so I, I want you to know that uh, Jesus did probably wash his hands from a hygiene perspective. Um, that, you know, he, he, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but uh, Jesus grew up in the Middle East. And so it's not American. There were not toilets uh, with napkins and things in the room. And so it's a little different. So he probably did wash his hands. Um, but what the Pharisee is talking about in this um, in this passage is, is not a, a hygienic washing of hands before um, dinner. This was not uh, what they did. They were not worried about germs um, on your hands or, or removing that. The Pharisees uh, had this, um, this really elaborate rule and ritual of washing your hands, not about germs, but about removing symbolically the defilement that they would have received just by being out in the world and being around other people, right? So, so they're not washing their hands so that their hands are clean so that they can eat food. They're washing their hands in a way to say that they are so holy and so righteous and so separate from everything else that's going on that they need to wash the sin 
that might have stuck to them while they were out in, in the world walking around in the marketplace or whatever. So it, it's like um, if, if you would have been in the room or I would have been in the room, we would have been offended by this because they would be washing us off of their hands. This is really um, what it was about. And so the amount of water that was used, the way in which they washed their hands, the, um, the, the way they moved their hands under the water, the amount that was poured on their hands, all of this is carefully written out and prescribed in what's called the Mishnah. The Mishnah is the authoritative collection of Jewish rules and laws that have been passed down orally for centuries. Um, and um, they're just like they're traditions here. But they're not like traditions like uh, we play a football game on Thanksgiving Day every day at the in, uh, or every Thanksgiving at the in-laws. It's not that kind of um, tradition. It's like tradition where if you don't follow it, you, you are not a follower of Jesus. Okay, so this is like big, of course they didn't worship Jesus then, but you, you weren't a follower of God. So it was a big deal. So it wasn't just tradition like, like we do this all the time. It was tradition like if you don't do this, you're not a very religious um, person. The problem is that washing their hands like that, it had nothing to do with being religious. It had everything to do with appearing religious. And, and so you could see that um, to wash your hands like that, to remove any, like I might have touched somebody or somebody sinful might have touched me. And so I'm going to wash myself to get rid of that um, sin. It's just kind of a ridiculous thing. And so Jesus uses this opportunity where he doesn't wash his hands according to the religious tradition of, of the Jewish elite. Instead, he may have just washed them quickly and then gone and sat down for dinner. But Jesus uses this as an opportunity to confront their misguided religious practices. Look at what happens next in the chapter. And so Jesus responds to this uh, Pharisee. You Pharisees, you cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed. So he's He's mixing metaphor here, right? So he's talking about washing dishes. And now he's talking about you, you people, you Pharisees. You're full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside uh, also? So I don't know um, how many of you uh, wash dishes. It is not my favorite thing to do. I don't do it all the time. Andrea probably does it uh, much more often, twice as much or more than, than I do, but I do wash it. And here's what I have recognized in washing a, uh, a cup or glass. Uh, I have found that if you um, intentionally wash the inside of the cup well, by the time you're done with that, the outside of the cup is pretty clean. Do you, do you find that? Um, that in the act of cleaning the inside of the cup, the outside of the cup gets pretty clean, um, even if you don't like intentionally uh, work on it. So next time you're all gonna be at my house, you're gonna be like, did Corey wash this cup or did, did you wash the dishwasher? Uh, and so um, in many cases, if you spend the proper time on the inside, the outside is kind of taken care of uh, on its own. But Jesus was not really making commentary on the Pharisees' uh, dishwashing practices when, when he said this. He really was addressing this disconnect that existed between what the Pharisees believed and the way in which they behaved. And so in the rest of uh, Luke chapter 11, 
Jesus addresses these areas where the Pharisees, in his uh, opinion, had, had got it wrong, right? They believed a popular religious fallacy that I think is still going strong um, today. And, and the fallacy is this, that if you look religious on the outside, you can remain selfish on the, on the inside. And so this is really what the religious leaders were, were doing. They had all of these practices, all of these things that they did that make them look very, uh, very holy, very religious, very righteous and pious on the outside. Um, but inside, they, they were really, as Jesus said, they were full of greed and, and, and wickedness. And they didn't really care about other people. They really just cared about themselves. And so um, they obeyed these rules that made them look religious, but then they neglected religious things like justice and love, Jesus goes on to say in, in the chapter. And instead of offering humble leadership to the people that followed them as the religious leaders of the day, they sought public praise and social standing. They, they used their position as religious leaders to pad their pockets and to gain power and prestige and, and position among other people to be a part of the leading people of the city. And so they kind of rolled their religion into um, uh, almost kind of a pagan kind of thing where they could hobnob with the, with the rich and famous of their day. Um, because of their mixed up theology, they actually, Jesus says in the chapter, they actually kept people from God instead of leading them toward God, which was their purpose. <laughs> That's what they were supposed to do as religious leaders. And so I, I, I want to kind of pause um, here on this thought because I think this is something that we Christians still struggle with um, today. And I'm the Christendom as a whole, everybody who uh, considers their, themselves to be a religious people. Like, we know that we're supposed to point people uh, to Jesus through our, our lifestyle, through our language, through our relationships. But looking like Jesus is difficult, right? It's hard to live a life of faith. And so at times the way we live our everyday lives actually turns people away from Jesus instead of drawing them towards Jesus. And so I, I'm not saying today that like every conversation you have in, in your life, every conversation that you have this next week has to end with, um, do you know Jesus? I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that you have to kind of arbitrarily uh, stick faith into every single conversation you have. I'm saying that if somebody on the outside who didn't know you really well looked at your life, if they took all the other six days of the week except Sunday morning and they looked at your life, would, would they see uh, sex, drugs, and rock and roll? Or would they see sincerity and genuine concern and kindness or love? What do our lives on the outside look to people, uh, uh, look like to people as they're uh, looking in? It's, so it's almost like we've kind of, we have the same illness as the Pharisees did, but we've just kind of switched it uh, a, a little bit. And so instead of looking religious on the outside and being selfish on the inside, we actually try to be religious on the inside and, and yet look like the world around us on the outside. 
There's no difference in our lifestyle or the way that we, that we live. There's no difference from the way we live our lives and the way a non-believer, non-Christian would live their lives. Like we see the same movies, we use the same language. There's um, no distinguishable difference between our lives and the lives of a non-Christian. But on the inside, right, we claim this moral and religious superiority because we believe in Jesus. Hey, I believe in Jesus and so I'm going to heaven even though I look and talk and act and think just like somebody else who I'm gonna claim is not going to heaven. Do you see how that, uh, that piety kind of exists in Jesus' day and exists in, in our day? We can claim morality and religion on the inside and yet we can look like the rest of the world on the outside. And so Jesus is saying that our outward behavior and our inward beliefs, they should be compatible. The way that we look on the outside, the way that we think on the inside, these things are supposed to be, be compatible. They're supposed to be the same. We're, we're supposed to be real. The, 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 the real us should be here present on Sunday mornings and, and present Monday morning at work and Friday morning at work when you've been worn down all week. And so whether you act religious but are really rebellious, or whether you act rebellious but then claim to be religious, it's the inconsistency in that lifestyle that Jesus is concerned about and he addresses with the religious leaders. If, if you remember the last series we did uh, on the Shema, we talked about the word nefesh. Nefesh um, in the Shema is the word that is translated in that text, soul. But we learned in that series that the word actually refers to both the physical body and the eternal spiritual part, and that the Jewish, ancient Jewish people believed that those two things were kind of meshed together. And, and the idea is that there, you cannot separate these two things. You cannot act like the world in, in your physical body. As Christians, we can't act like the world in our physical body and yet claim religious superiority in, in the emotional, the spiritual part of, of who we are. These two things are, are, are fit together. Um, and, and so if, if you are spiritual, that should, that should transform the way you live in the, in the physical. And if you're living in the physical in a way that's not compatible with your faith, then that should adjust your spiritual life is gonna suffer harm um, in that. And so these things are connected. And so our belief and our behavior, they should be consistent. And both of them should point toward our hope in Jesus. But we can make even that difficult. Look what happens in the next few verses here. Uh, one of the lawyers, or your text or translation may say scribes, um, they were the guys who studied the law of God, and then, then their job was to kind of um, make it accessible to the average person. And so one of the lawyers answered Jesus, said, teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also, because the lawyers were, were Pharisees. They, they were part of the same religious um, sect. And so Jesus says to them, he's like, hey, I'm not, I'm not leaving you out. Like Jesus is an equal opportunity offender. And so he says to them even, woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, you, burdens that you yourself won't even touch, you know you can't do it, and you won't even help them with, with one of your fingers. Now, this is the other um, struggle that the religious elite of Jesus' day had. Like, it wasn't just their behavior and their beliefs, 
they also were really good at creating difficult rules that they then forced other people to follow, but they themselves didn't, uh, didn't attempt. Um, uh, th- let me give you an, an example. Years ago, there was a pretty popular um, Christian, female Christian singer. And she had kind of crossed over a little bit and she was doing kind of some pop stuff and, and whatever. She was interviewed uh, along with some other Christian singer people. She was interviewed uh, by, I don't know, uh, Barbara Walters or somebody. And the, the question came to her like this. Um, uh, she was asked, uh, the songs that you sing about faith and the way that you're supposed to live and seek God and live for Jesus and all that, um, does that come from your own personal life? Is it like, are these things that you're trying to attain to or is it just like this pipe dream kind of stuff that you're uh, like a country song where he actually gets the wife and the dog and the truck at the end? Uh, It's like, it's not gonna happen, but we sing about it, or this country music. uh, or is it like this part of your, your belief? And, this, and the singer goes, oh, I couldn't possibly live up to the things I sing about in my songs. And, and I thought to myself, like, okay, so you've just given up. You're like, this is what I'm singing and I'm encouraging everybody else to follow this, but I, but I, I can't follow that. I can't be expected to follow that. So the the lawyers and the scribes, their role, their job was to teach people God's laws in a way that was easy for them to understand, even if they were difficult to follow. Instead, what the lawyers did was they created this kind of just this mess so that people wouldn't violate some other law of God. So like in the Ten Commandments, it says, um, honor the Sabbath and, and keep it it holy. And so the Sabbath for them is Saturday, even today, if you go to Israel, um, on Friday, just before sundown, everything shuts down, all the shops and the stores, everything closes. Like don't, you can't get anything there. Everything shuts down until um, Saturday at, at about evening when the sun goes down, then everything opens back up again. So they still honor this Sabbath. So that was God's law, honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. And so this is what the scribes did. They took this law, honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. And they said, if you wanna do this, here is the rule. Um, In order to not violate the Sabbath, a man may not carry a burden in his right hand or his left hand in his bosom, um, so up against his body or on his shoulder can't carry anything in in your hands, open in your hands or on your shoulder. However, you may carry it uh, on the back of your hand, which I find is really helpful a lot of times. You you really get a good grip if you use the back of your uh, hand. Um, Or you can also carry it with your foot. Uh, You could carry it in your mouth or with your elbows. Again, really strong part of the body. Uh, You can carry it in your ear or in your hair or in your wallet. I didn't bring my wallet. In your wallet, if your wallet is mouth uh, downward. So if you use your wallet to grab something, you got to hold it like uh, that. Uh, You can also carry it between your wallet and your shirt or in the hem of your shirt or in your shoe or your sandal. 
Now, that comes from the uh, Shabbath 10.3, uh, again, part of this Jewish rules and regulations for how to follow God's, God's law. So you got that? It's clear as mud, right? Ridiculous. This is the kind of things they would uh, do. And so instead of grace and guidance, these religious elite, these scribes and lawyers, they provided um, condemnation and callousness. They said, here's the law, follow it. But then they didn't follow it because they knew it was impossible to follow. And so whether it's the hypocrisy of the religious elite of Jesus' day or our own struggle to balance what we believe and how we behave in the world, when we practice religious rituals without religious reasons, we're not being religious, we're being ridiculous. When we as, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, when we practice religious things and we make up these arbitrary religious rules that, that, that maybe to other people, we think anyway, they make us look more religious, we don't really look religious to the rest of the world, we look ridiculous. Let me give you a, a, a little example that gets me in trouble uh, at times, but I'm no stranger to that, so here we go. Um, the, the, in October, there is a holiday that is celebrated by virtually everyone in America, right? Uh, what's that holiday called? <laughs> Halloween, yeah, uh, Halloween. So, um, so the, Halloween is the holiday that is celebrated in October and there's lots and lots of, of good, solid Christian people who dress their kids up and send them out for, for candy uh, on Halloween evening. But in order to look religious and not look worldly, many people in the church have decided that we can celebrate a holiday in October and just not call it Halloween. And we've created all of these clever things to, to do. So um, some churches put up big banners out in front and they say, uh, we're having a harvest party uh, on Halloween. <laughs> a harvest party. Oh, and you can dress up and we're going to give out candy, but it's not Halloween. It's a harvest party because we're Christians. <laughs> we're not heathens. Then uh, other churches have, have decided, okay, well, that's not good enough. Um, we're going to call our not Halloween party a Neowalla party, which is Halloween backwards. And that somehow makes Halloween uh, more palatable to Jesus. Uh, we go, but Jesus, look, we didn't celebrate Halloween. We celebrated Neowalla, and it's completely different. And he's like, did you dress up? And we're like, yes. Did you have candy? Uh, yes. Were there kind of spooky things going on? Well, yes, but it wasn't Halloween. Uh, and, and so look, I, this, my personal opinion is um, that when we do that, the rest of the world looks at us Christians and goes, you guys must think we're idiots. It's obvious you're celebrating Halloween. You're not fooling anybody. Just because you change the name of something doesn't mean you're not still celebrating uh, the thing. So I, I, so I don't get it. Okay, this, I'm gonna get myself in trouble. Uh, consider for a minute the disciple uh, Judas who betrayed, like we all know Judas because he betrayed Jesus to the religious elite. And if you look at his story uh, in the gospels, what you find is that 
is that Judas really didn't want to be a Jesus follower. He really wanted to be a, a religious elite himself. He wanted that lifestyle that he saw other religious Pharisees and others having. He was all about outward appearances, but inside he was full of greed and and pride and jealousy. So he practiced, Judas practiced the religious leader, uh, rituals, but he never understood Jesus' relationships. When Jesus was there and the woman came in and poured uh, perfume on his body, Judas didn't understand what was going on. He couldn't handle it. And, and then that really was the, kind of the straw that broke the camel's back there. He, it, Judas wanted power in, instead of peace. He wanted money instead of meaningful relationships. He wanted respect but there was no reason for it. He just wanted those things selfishly. So when we practice religious rituals without religious reasons, when our behavior and our beliefs are doing battle with each other, then we don't look like Jesus, we look like Judas. When there's inconsistency between the two things, we don't look religious, we look ridiculous to the rest of the world. And so bad religion that we've been talking about in this series, it makes rules and it makes outward appearances and elitist uh, intellectual, theological intellectualism and social standing, it makes those things more important than the gospel. And so what is supposed to be good news becomes burdensome and complex. And so when you come to church, you get this whole list of things that you're supposed to do and think and act and, and, and whatever, and it becomes overwhelming and too much to handle. And so Jesus comes into this situation with the Pharisees, and he strongly denounces the hypocrisy of the religious elite that was present in their day. Not because he thought that they were able to uh, attain to this perfect perfect life, because we know nobody is, we're all going to fall and fail, but it's because the religious leaders were trying in their own ability, their own kind of self-willed public perfection they were trying to present to the world, and so they were actually keeping people from the truth of the gospel instead of welcoming them into it. And so when our behavior and our beliefs don't match... We actually keep people from Jesus instead of leading them to him. Let's look at the next uh, thing. And, and so, so what do we do about that? We have this disconnect between our behavior and our belief, the religious elite, the ridiculous way that we sometimes look. What do we do about it? How do we bring our faith, uh, our beliefs, and our behaviors into balance? Well, James, the brother of Jesus, actually writes about this in, in his letter. Let's look at that. This is quite a long section. Know this, my um, beloved brothers. By the way, I, I don't, I don't want to get into all of this, but let me, just, let me just say, most of the time when the word brothers is used or men is used, we don't really understand this in the English language, but the original language, the original words that were used were more like y'all, all right? Um, so it's like everybody, everybody that I'm talking to, not just men, not just women, but it really includes everybody. And so just... Cut the Bible some slack there. Okay. Uh, know this, my beloved y'all, folks, fellows, people. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness, rampant wickedness, and then receive with meekness 
the implanted word. So the word of God grows and builds inside of us. And, and James is saying we need to receive that and allow it to grow because it's able to save our souls as the word of God grows in us. But be doers, he says, of that word. So as the word impacts your life, as you read it, as you, as you hear it, you study it, it impacts your life. He says, be doers of that word and not just hearers only. Because if you're a hearer only, you deceive yourself. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. He looks at himself and then he goes away and immediately forgets what he looked like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being not just a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. So the word impacts our life and then we, we walk in it, we do it, we function in it. Our belief and our behavior uh, are compatible. He will be blessed in the doing of the law. If anyone thinks he is religious, here's the good part, and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now James tells us how to balance our behavior and our beliefs. First of all, he says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because he says that kind of anger, that fly off the handle anger that just like blows up, that is not from God. Secondly, he says, we need to put away filthiness and wickedness and instead receive what the Spirit is trying to accomplish in, uh, in our lives. So what God is doing in our lives, we want to foster that and let that grow. But filthiness and wickedness we want to put away. And so really the Spirit helps us look like Jesus. Then he says, be doers of what is in God's Word, not just hearers of it. Because um, when we just hear the Word of God, it's not doing us or anyone else any good, really. So if we come to church on Sunday morning, we gather and we hear the word of God, but we don't allow it to impact our lives during the week. There's no transformation. There's no change. There's nothing where we, we go, okay, today I'm going to avoid this or I'm going to do that simply because God says so. It doesn't do us any good. It's ridiculous for a Christian person to hear and not let that impact their lives. Fourthly, he says, keep a tight rein on your tongue or you and your religion are gonna look ridiculous. And then finally, he says, religion that God approves of. Religion that God approves of, good religion, we'll call it. First of all, is others focused. Specifically when we bless those who are unable to bless us back. So good religion is others focused. The second thing good religion is, is that it keeps belief and behavior in balance. Those two things are in balance with one another. And so if we preach a gospel of love and care and kindness, but then we never get out from behind the safety of our computer screens or our church walls or our little Christian bubbles where everybody thinks the same and does the same, then our faith begins to seem more like a social club um, of, of convenience, really. 
we go there and we get good feelings and it recharges us for the week, but then it doesn't do anything else for anybody else. It becomes more about just a social club than a transformative and powerful experience. We don't need to be perfect in, in our lives as followers of Jesus. We can't be perfect in our lives as followers of Jesus, but our lives should be marked by more than just the things that we say about faith or religion. We should be driven to action in response to God's overwhelming love for us and for others, what Adam talked about this morning. And so here are some ways that we can keep our beliefs and our behaviors um, in balance. The, the first one uh, comes from uh, right here, be real, put away the, the mass. The Christian life is not about perfection, it's about progress. So making progress in our lives. I don't have to be perfect uh, for God to love me. God already loves me. I can't get any closer to the love of, of God. And so what I wanna do is make sure that my behavior and my beliefs are in, in line. I'm being real to everybody inside and outside of the church. The second thing I think we can do to have good religion is um, our last uh, uh, core value, and that's to be relational, to love God by showing love to others. Because the more that we love others, the more others will see God uh, for who he is and the more God receives our love. So James says, if we wanna have a religion that's not ridiculous, if we want, our religion to be taken seriously by people outside the walls of the church, then our behavior and our belief has to match up. They've gotta be not just compatible, they've gotta be in balance with one another. Who we claim to be on Sunday mornings needs to be the same person that we are on Wednesday afternoons and on, on Friday mornings at work. Um, so be real, be relational, love God, love others, bring into balance your behavior and your belief, and then we'll avoid having that kind of bad religion. Let's pray. God, thanks for this day and this opportunity to, to worship you and to be here today. God, I pray that the things that we um, have heard today, the things that we've read from your word and, and discovered and heard, that, that those are not things that are just kind of gonna go one, in one ear and out the other, but that we would work every day as, as we read or study or, or listen to uh, a Bible verse on the way uh, into work, or we have a conversation with somebody that, that we would constantly be checking our beliefs and our behaviors to make sure that those things are, are balanced as best they can. And, and God, we thank you that you're not expecting us to be perfect, but you are expecting us to make progress. You don't want us to be like the religious leaders who, who made all of these rules and expected everybody to follow them and they looked really religious on the outside, but on the inside, there just wasn't anything going on. And so God, we want to be people of, of faith who don't just hear the word as James says, but we do it, we put it into practice. We let the word of God transform our hearts and our souls, uh, give us new things to think about and ways to act. Um, and, and so God, would we just be open to that this week? Would you help us to love others? Would you help us to, to be real in our lives, to be relational um, and, and really just to look like your son, Jesus, a little more every day. It's in his name we pray.